Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. We're here today with Murray James, who I have known for quite a long time, although I think this will be our first opportunity to really sit down and have like a at-length conversation. But yeah. uh, Murray is a, a saxophone player. Well, that's how I first met you, um, was uh, through a, a gig in Chongqing, right? Was uh, with uh, Marlon and Charisse. Remember that? I don't remember the particular gig, but oh, okay, yeah. I, I'm sure we met at some <laughs> in some musical situation somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you... Um, are one of the most accomplished musicians I've ever come across in uh, Chengdu. And um, you also have excellent Chinese. And we saw you that you were on Chinese forums as well a few weeks ago. So yeah. we talked to you about maybe coming on the podcast and, uh, you know, we were able to make it work. So uh, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here, Phil. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. So um, I thought you would be a great person to come on because I remember you were at White Nights. Uh, do you remember that bar I that, do. Uh, in Kwanjai Shangza? I don't know if it's still there, but uh, I moved. Oh, they moved it. Okay, yeah. yeah. You were there with um, with uh, Gaston and Mambo playing a gig just before you left uh, the last time, I believe. Yeah. And uh, you, I remember it left a very deep impression on me. You were explaining to the audience what the songs were and like you know where where you got the inspiration for them, and it was very fluent Chinese the entire time. And I remember at the time I had only sort of just started. To, or at least my perception of it was, it was very fluent. You know, yeah. it is a, it's like when you haven't learned that much, you know, you see somebody foreigner speaking, you're like, wow. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I just am curious, how did you end up, you know, how did you approach learning Chinese and how did you get to sort of the level you are now? Yeah. Um, so I've been learning Chinese for about 12 years, wow. I guess. I started in 2007. Um, and... Um, I wouldn't describe myself as fluent, but my Chinese has improved a lot mm -hmm. in the 12 years. Um, um, you know, um, how do you just, how do you define fluent? I don't really, uh, I don't really think the thing is I hear, um, so many Chinese language learners using the word fluent uh, in a way that I think is like useless or dishonest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. By that, I mean, sometimes people like say that they're fluent and they're clearly not. Okay, okay. You know, um, so I, I tend to think about, like, proficiency, like um, uh, having an ability to express anything that I want to express, like mm -hmm. being able to do things in and with the language. Uh -huh. So, uh, like, I read a lot in Chinese. Yeah. Um, it really helps with the, oh, it's incredible. the words coming to your mind fast enough, you know. And, um, you know, when I first started learning Chinese, my Chinese was like, really awful, and I couldn't read, you know, anything. And I was living in China, and nobody understood me. Like, mm -hmm. it was very humbling um yeah. ex experience <laughs> it's always uh, like that when you run into those situations yeah and it went on for like it was like for years like that you know um and now i'm like reading novels and so and and i always kind of wanted that like i mm -hmm. wanted um i'm in the arts i'm a musician but i'm also interested in like literature and and um, um and I, I i wanted to be able to like use chinese in ways that um um you know, that I could engage with as, like, a whole person. So I was just reading. Um, really, like, opened that up for me. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, um, I tend to think about, like, proficiency mm -hmm. rather than rather than fluency. But, yeah, so I started um, uh, in 2007. Oh, and in the music thing, right? So yeah. I'm a saxophonist mm -hmm. and a composer, band leader, music educator. And um, um, to be able to use Chinese to, like, teach music mm. – um, um, I used to teach at the Sichuan Conservatory of Music mm -hmm. in China, and that was all like in Chinese. Um, and to be able to, yeah, like be on a stage and be able to communicate with an audience. Um, you know, some foreign musicians 
the, that are here, they don't, um, they don't learn Chinese. Mm -hmm. You know, not all Chinese musicians speak great English. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't communicate, then, you know, you're limiting yourself somewhat. Absolutely. Practically, it yeah. seems like you'll limit yourself in terms of like who you end up working with. Absolutely. So I've thought of that many times where how, you know, if you think about it, it's like there are plenty of smart Chinese people who just never had any interest in English. Especially, yeah. And you're especially going to run into that in a, something like the music community. It's like they decide they wanted to pursue music, not necessarily something else. I mean, unless they happen to be somebody who's like, oh, I had another passion, which was studying a second language or whatever. You know, it's in, in all likelihood, the majority of the people you're going to run into don't really speak that great English. So what, are you just never going to be able to connect with those people? It would be a shame, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that must have been huge. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool, you know. And um, um, so when I started working at the conservatory, like, I don't know why. Um, I mean, I have an idea why they hired me. But I don't know, given, like, where my language was at the time, mm -hmm. you know, I don't – it was really difficult to communicate with students. You know, I was speaking at like a, you know, probably like a second grade level, but with like way more mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, my view on Chinese language learning, at least what, what's worked for me, is like this, um, you know, patient um, accumulation of, of knowledge, mm -hmm. um, slow like practice and development of skills. I have, um, I kind of think about music the same way. It's like if you're serious about something and it has value to you, mm. And you work on it slowly over a long enough period of time, like you'll get really good. Like some people, they just work on something, you know, in spurts, and then they kind of stop. Right. Um, and then they plateau, or they tend not to improve. Excuse me. <clears throat> but it's like if you actually um, um, like apply yourself, um, and you don't burn yourself out over a long enough time scale, you can get really good at things. Mm -hmm. And so that's um, th that's something that's worked for me. Yeah, I think that the uh, the whole idea of you know shedding. You know, as a musical term for practicing, yeah. and uh, that whole idea had really rubbed off on me when I started learning Chinese. You know, I was just sort of my main thing was there has to be a point in the day where I always start doing something in Chinese. And usually, when you start something, you know, you end up going a bit further than you know maybe you originally planned because you're already get you get in the flow of it. And you know, I, I tell people all the time, it's like don't worry about finishing because you know is there ever really an end? Probably not. Like there's no. always new things that you need to learn. No. I'm still learning English, so. It's not, don't think about the finish line. Think about just start start this little thing that you're doing here. And you might only do it for two minutes, but that's, you know, way better than doing it for zero. So, you know, start as much as you can. And then it was because of that, those years of practicing drums, you know, where that was my main thing that I kind of was able to get that in my head. And yeah. that's the bit of advice we always give to people who are starting off. And if they fall off the wagon of studying, like they miss some days or whatever, just draw a line and start again. You know, just next day. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you need to do to build the habit. I always do it with my coffee in the morning or whatever. Yeah. You know. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that totally works. Do, so, was there any kind of methodology that you used, or was it very eclectic? Or yeah, I, I, I'm happy to talk about that. But for, first, let me just say, yeah. um, based, uh, I'm thinking of something mm. based on what you just said. You know, um, I think it's also worth like interrogating your reasons for learning Chinese. Mm. You know. Um, um, I've had a pretty, um, like, I never got stressed out, and I always kind of, like, liked it, and I always did it, as I said, like, learning Chinese, practicing it. Um, I used to, like, listen to tapes and do other things that I'll talk about in a second, but if you just, um, um, I kind of always knew what I was about. Like, I, I never was interested in learning Mandarin for some, like, like some transactional reasons. I mm -hmm. never thought it would make me rich, Yeah. you know? Um, it has helped me, you know, in my career. It's opened up some pretty cool opportunities. It's more like you found that out later. 
Yeah, it was a, it was a, you know, when you can do more things with a language, you know, then interesting stuff will happen to you. you know? Right, right, sure. Um, but I, I, um, I never thought, um, like, like I was, I was, I was always kind of clear on that. And I knew people that, you know, they either think that um, learning Chinese is like super easy, mm-hmm. you know, or they get frustrated with, um, you know, their inability to communicate. Mm-hmm. With real people and, and the fact that, you know, when you start speaking, other people can't understand you. There's a huge, pretty steep learning curve to getting, you know, to start reading. And people get kind of like discouraged and, and stop. But, you know, if you, if you take a somewhat longer view and you know, you know, what you're learning Chinese for, mm-hmm. then, then um, um, my suspicion is you can, you can last a lot longer without burning out. Um, a lot, it seems to me like a lot of people get to like, uh, like an elementary level or like lower intermediate level. I'm talking about foreigners living in China. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just like never get beyond that point. Yeah, that does happen a lot. I've seen that quite a lot because the, it's like called the, the, the intermediate plateau because uh-huh. you tend to stay at an intermediate – because there's a big you – know, you get the foundational stuff done. And you can actually get the foundational stuff done you know, maybe sooner than you might think, like getting the, the basic most – frequent 500 characters or something like that and yeah. then you get the most frequent thousand words and that will actually be allow you to communicate in a lot of different situations but there's a big gap between that and feeling like you can communicate without any um sort of barriers at all and so like because you and you need to accumulate a lot of vocabulary and the vocabulary that's right for this situation or right for this person or the emotional context or you know all that stuff is kind of you can't really in my experience, the only way you can acquire that stuff is just continuously sort of immersing, your, immersing yourself in the language and inputting things that you understand, whether that's movies or reading a lot. I love the reading helps me a lot with that oh, yeah. sort of emotional context, the ganjing uh, suzai. Um, and, um, you know, the what I found is that over that period of time, what took me the longest to sort of grasp was that it was actually changing the way I was thinking. Oh, yeah. You know, learning this way, and so like this is something I'm really curious to hear what you think about having you know studied for many years. What are you, what do you think are the advantages to how this particular language and how it's structured? Uh, the advantages are to how it helps you think, or even how it helps you think musically. It could be I don't know if you have thoughts about that, but even just how you think in general. Have you made any note of how it's affected that at all? It's kind living, of a broad question. Living in China and. Um, you know, studying Chinese for a long time, ha- investing as much time into it as I have. It, it has had effects. Um, I, exactly what are they? I don't know. I mean, th- there's mm. something about, um, you know, getting deep in a world that is not your own world mm-hmm. um, that um, pushes you in, in a variety of ways, you know, just as a person, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, there's this, it's like, they, I guess it makes you more empathetic, I, but not necessarily. It ha- I think it has for me, but I know some people who like speak good Chinese who are not empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, it has that tendency. If you're interested in literature, it will definitely have that sort of tendency, you know, mm-hmm. because you have to, um, um, you know, be willing. There's a certain emotional vulnerability that comes in with getting inside like someone else's world, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's like something about like what it means to be human, in my view. Um, in terms of music, yeah, um, living here has had a huge impact on my music. In terms of how you know exactly that intersects with like Mandarin, mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure, but 
when I came here, so I, I moved to Chengdu from New York City, and I was uh, a student, uh, a doctoral student at NYU, and playing mostly like contemporary jazz, mm-hmm. but also some like um, some straight ahead stuff. But it was mostly like you know the kind of jazz that you would hear in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I came here, and uh, and I, I had a, a like equipment. I had like a musical setup that would facilitate that way of playing, that sort of sound. And I started working with like some Chinese pop singers and people that were, you know, playing jazz, but um, you know, like on an electric bass instead of an upright, and mm-hmm. um, um, who obviously had different um, musical influences than I did. They listened to different Western music mm-hmm. than I than I did. You know, um, I'm talking about the Chinese musicians I was working with, and I was just like unable to, you know, kind of thrive in that environment. I I, I wasn't right. like ready to play pop music. I was kind of closed. There's this old like sometimes jazz people are like that. They're just so yeah. serious about that one, you know, musical style that they, you know, they're not open to doing um, other things. And so, living in China and working with musicians who are interested in all sorts of different musical genres opened me up incredibly. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so now I have like way more eclectic musical tastes. Um, I, you know, I, I st- the band that you mentioned at the start of this podcast, like that was, uh, you know, the, it was a band people from Mauritius, China, and I'm from Canada. So it was, um, um, and we were playing like funk, like avant-garde funk music. Yeah, I was, <laughs> it was uh, a fun show though. I really liked your, the music you guys were playing, it was really fun. Thank you. I, I was playing, um, I played in like a ska band. I was oh, a yeah. saxophonist and, and like horn arranger for a, a relatively well-known in Western China ska band called The Trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was good. I mean, um, and I think it's good, especially if you're in the arts, it's good to um, you know expose yourself and, and, and actively look for uh, situations that are unfamiliar or unusual. Mm, mm, absolutely. So let's go back, let's circle back to the um, the methodology side of when you were originally learning Chinese, because I, I kind of would am interested in how after you had built a foundation, you know, how learning the musical vocabulary went for you. But before we get to that, I'm curious about how, uh, you know, when you were trying to approach it in the early stages, especially when you're heading into that intermediate phase, like how did you get through it? You know, considering that, like you said, a lot of people end up getting stuck or quit in that period. Yeah. Um, so I started with um, the New Practical Chinese Reader oh, series. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, I read, the first things I read and worked through in Chinese were like volumes one through five. Mm-hmm. And I just did it slowly with the tapes. Um, the first uh, the first volume, you know, it, it goes through, it introduces. I mean, one thing that's great about Chinese that I think most people don't realize especially like in, in contrast to English, it's like the number of like distinct phonemes is like tiny. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like so small. Yeah. So you can actually learn, if you're diligent, you can learn the sounds pretty quickly and it doesn't require some amazing amount of work to like distinguish them. The right. tones I think are, a, it's a bit more work, but, um, but you know, you can work through that too. And then you can, um, then you just need to finesse the sounds mm-hmm. in terms of like your ability to produce them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're not going to be surprised by, you know, like bizarre spellings of words or like A-E, like all these weird like diphthong, you know, mm-hmm. vowel combinations in English that um, like baffle learners of English that have been studying the language for like decades. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. so Chinese, like that's not where the challenge lies. And so I was, I was, uh, I would listen to the sounds and, and, you know, reproduce them, mm-hmm. you know, which I guess is like a, what, a mirror method or something. I hear, you know, bo, bo, yeah, ma, yeah. like this kind of stuff. Um, and I did it for a long time. And um, 
I, uh, I the one thing I like about that series is it introduces characters right from the beginning. Yep. Um, I got the Pligo Dictionary, which I think you know most of your listeners will know about. Mm-hmm. And um, once so once I finished like volume five, I could kind of like I could, um, I. I only knew the stuff that was in those books, but everything that I learned in those books, I was reading at the same time that I was I was listening. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, anything that I could say, I could also read. Okay. You know, and any character that I read in that book, I knew how to say it. Mm-hmm. So that was very helpful. And then I just always did it that way. So every time, um, by the time I I was in volume five, I was living in China. Um, and so the musicians that I was working with, every time they would say a word that I wasn't familiar, which was constantly, you know. Um, I would take my dictionary out and I would ask them to like, how is it spelled? Mm-hmm. You know, at this time I didn't have the language. Like, you know, once you're at a higher level, you can like describe characters visually in Chinese. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, you can say like, oh, it has this, you know, this radical with, you know, this. You can just Chinese people describe, you know, shoulderpong or whatever that sort of stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, at the time, it was just grueling, and I think um, I had like patient um, music comrades that would, um, you know, just take like a lot of time and just yeah. show me. And that was like incredibly helpful. And so now it's still the case that I can like read anything that I can say. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens far less common, but you know, if I'm like, you know, like uh, place names and like mm-hmm. names and sure. menus, yeah. those tend to be the places where I'll encounter a character that I haven't seen sure. before. Sure. So, but whenever I see that, I'll ask someone right away, like, how do I pronounce that? Um, yeah. Um, and the reverse is true. So if somebody says a word that I don't know, you know, I'll say like, is are, this is the character, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they'll be like, yeah, that's it. And then so, so. yeah. Um, so in, uh, after those five books, um, I was interested in like reading, you know, stuff actually in Chinese, mm-hmm. um, like for Chinese speakers, but I, my, my language wasn't ready. So I, I did, um, Chinese pod for a while, which was like really big. Mm-hmm. Like back then, it was like 2009 or something. So it was really big. And I, um, um, like I was friends, I, I am friends with John Paston, who was like their academic yeah. director. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and then. And Mandarin Companion, their stuff that they do with that is great. Have you seen Mandarin Companion before? It's John Paston and uh, his partner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's doing some really cool things. Yeah, great stuff. Anyway, yeah. sorry, John. Um, and then I uh, uh, started listening to Paul um, Bao Zhongwen. Like mm-hmm. the pop-up yep. Chinese, yep. because they their um, their sensibilities were like they're just really funny. Yeah, yeah, they're funny. Yeah, I remember that. Um, uh, Brendan O'Kane, who, by the way, if you're going to talk about like um, fluency in Chinese, he's probably like as close to any any one foreigner that I've seen. Mm-hmm. He's a huge literature guy. Like his whole background is in like literature and translation. Makes and sense. Yeah. I was just so impressed. You know, he was like, um, you know, he was like. He not only had read, but could talk about, you know, Meng, like these these books. Mm-hmm. He could just talk about them, um, you know, to Chinese people in Chinese and like offer his thoughts of their like literary quality and like translation issues and stuff. And I was like, oh, holy moly! Like this is this is awesome, yeah. you know. Uh. Um, and I'm I'm um, um, I'm not that deep into it. Um, well, that explains to me why you have such a high standard for uh, fluency. Oh yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, these is. That's what it's about, you know. So I I know people who, um, you know, I'm friends with people whose Chinese is like way better than mine, and so I'm. Uh, it's like a humbling yeah. thing, and and you know I'll just keep trucking away and and sure. and work at it. So I did that. I did that for a while. I, it's also super funny. Those podcasts were 
hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, <laughs> the, I, a number I, of them I remember still because just because they were so funny. Yeah. Yeah, dude, they're awesome. Um, and once, um, and so I started there. I was listening to their like elementary podcasts, and then um, I got my Chinese improved a lot. At the time, I was also living in China, so I was speaking Chinese every day. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I got I, uh, around 2011, 12, I started working at the Sichuan Conservatory. And um, um, my whole like world was just like only Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. So except for like, like people like you, like foreigners that I was working with who were mo- mostly musicians, mm-hmm. you know, and when I would play in like different venues, like in bars or something like that, there would be foreigners there and, you know, talk to them. But, you know, like my wife is Chinese and her family's Chinese. Um, so plenty my, of opportunities to use. My it. coworkers were all Chinese and from different parts of China, so I had uh, had exposure to you know many different Chinese accents mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. It's like at the Sichuan Conservatory, all of like the the Yanchangxi, you know, they're all from like Sichuan, mm-hmm. but in like the at the time I was teaching in like which is like a like popular popular music like mm-hmm. instrumental music department. Right. And every like there's just tons of people from Dongbei. Like, oh yeah, like it's all like northern people. Oh yeah, um, and so it was great. I had a, I had I had a, I was just surrounded by Chinese all the time. And then on top of that, I think it's probably true that I've uh, studied. Um, you know, like I work on my Chinese like every, every day consistently. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just like I'll just read for like half an hour, you know, mm-hmm. to an hour. Um, um, but back then, you know, I was actually like studying. One other thing that I did. Um, is um, before I started working at the conservatory, I knew that I, w- I cared about music. I wanted to be able to use music in Chinese. So I started um, I started reading like Wikipedia and like Baidu Baikhe, like articles in Chinese about music. Mm-hmm. So for instance, so my background oh, is idea. in like yeah. jazz, jazz music, right? So I would just read the Wikipedia article on jazz in mm-hmm. Chinese. And it would, I have to go through it really slow because like it has all sorts of words I didn't know. And that was hard. Um, and I would do that for, mm-hmm. I would like look up, you know, Charlie Parker. I read the yeah. article, I would read all sorts of articles. And then I went to the bookstore across the street from the Citroen Conservatory where I would end up working. Yeah. I bought a freshman music theory textbook. Oh, good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so my actually have my background. I'm a saxophonist composer, but my background actually or, originally was in like classical music theory mm. and um, music analysis is something that interests it's me a lot. A great way to start, you know, even if you go to any direction with music, if you have that solid foundation in so classical it, theory. So I started reading um, um, what I read a freshman textbook, um, and then it's a, it's a subject that I know really well. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't learning anything new in terms of like knowledge, but I'm learning like all of the terminology so easy to make the connections when you know the material. We tell people all the time about that type of stuff because we're set, we'll say buy the your favorite book as a child in Chinese because you'll be fine with how difficult it is because you know the source material and you like the source material. It's not even just know, sometimes it's also you're, you're already gripped by it. You know, you know that because obviously you found it interesting when you were younger. Yeah. And so even though, yeah, it's not teaching you anything new right now in this very moment, it's like, you know, it's a... Uh, gives you the opportunity to make your Chinese a lot better much like very quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Another thing is like you when you start doing this, you learn, you, you take for granted like how many words you actually know in your native language. But mm-hmm. once you get into it, like um, so like take something like um, um, like a music staff, right? And there are just so many words to describe, like even for like a single note on the page, right? Mm-hmm. So there is terminology for like, 
the length of the note, right? Mm-hmm. So eighth notes, quarter notes, or whatever. You know, there is like a note stem, there are mm-hmm. note flags, there's yeah. note heads, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's different terminology for like how they're beamed mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. Yeah. you know? Um, and we're just talking about like notes. We haven't even talked about, um, um, you know, all of the other words related to music notation. There's, sure. you know, dozens, hundreds, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and every single one of those words has um, a corresponding Chinese word. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So, so there's like just a, like a lot to learn. Um, but did you find, I'm curious if you found this, I, I did a brief foray into some basic rhythmical vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already probably forgotten some of it because I haven't had to use it pre- recently. But um, the uh, what I found was it was, like many things in Chinese, very logical. Like what they came up with as the words oh, yeah. to correspond. And so that, I find that that makes it really quick to learn. I mean, obviously the... the um, precondition is that you know the characters but if you do if you're familiar with the characters it's usually like well of course that's what a measure is or you know in some ways it's more logical than um so our english terminology is actually not even english right so it's borrowed from like you know latin and other italian (laughs) so it's (laughs) music terminology um is sometimes like it's probably harder for like you know a chinese person to learn all those english Oh yeah, you know, words, yeah. ralentando. Yeah, <laughs> what, what, you know? Yep. Um, and in China, it's just like you know, like it's like get slower, you know, get slower more. You know, like <laughs> exactly. those are the, those are the actual translations of of, of Chinese terms like that. Yeah, so, so many of them are like that's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So um, I, I I did that. That was like tremendously helpful. Um, um, and then. After, uh, by like 2015, which is um, when I returned home for a few years to complete my, um, my doctoral studies, um, my China, I, was, I was already ready to kind of like start reading. And in 2017, um, 2016, 2017, I started reading like books in Chinese. Mm-hmm. So I read like Huozhe by Yuhua, and that's something that like a lot of um, people recommend because it's relatively... It's actually not a super easy book, but it's easy compared to, you know, uh, some mm-hmm. other novels out there. Um, um, and he expresses himself kind of clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really liked it. And so then I just started. Um, um, this year, um, I'll read um, uh, like a million characters in books and articles. So that was like a New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it sounds way more impressive. That's why I put it that way. But it's actually less than 3,000 characters a day. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so sure it's a few pages of a quite, book. Yeah, I'm sure you've gotten quite quick too, you know, at reading these. Yeah, days. but I don't read. I seem to disagree. Some people are like, oh, like you got to improve your reading speed. It's so important. It's an important marker of fluency. There's some, you know, people who speak great Chinese on like Chinese forms, for instance, and they've written they've written that. But I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of um, um, maybe because of my musical background. I I'm a I'm an oral like a u r a l. Mm-hmm. Uh, reader, yeah. I um, I really like to sound things out in my head, even in English. Me too. Actually, Me too. yeah. Um, um, and I, I I'm also like it I'm slows a, you down, but I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. I'm also like a dilettante writer, um, and I love to write, mm-hmm. um, you know, short things. Um, and I I'm just constantly fascinated with you know the more musical qualities of language. So like the rhythm of language, I like mm-hmm. you know alliteration and assonance and playing with like the, the sound of things together. And my Chinese is to the point now where I can, I'm starting to like pick up on these sorts of things in some writers sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I find that just tremendously interesting. So I'll often like um, sound things out in my, in my inner ear when I'm reading. Um, sometimes I'll actually read, um, 
Like I'll actually read things out loud, like quietly. Sure. You know, to myself. And I guess that's supposed to like impact reading speed. It does impact reading speed. Um, but I, I prefer to read that way. So I, yeah, I, I, tr- I just try it sometimes like with the, the reading faster because I'm what you described, like sort of audiating the, in your head yeah, what yeah. it is that you're reading on the page. Yeah. I've always done that with English. I've always done that. You know, I do it with Chinese as well. And but the thing is, with Chinese, I find that it's actually possible for me to try to chunk things together quickly, like they say with the speed readers, what they'll do, they'll kind of chunk things together and try to get, so I guess they get the gist. I don't really understand how speed reading in English works, but I do know that because Chinese is a bit, you know, considerably more visual than um, than uh, English, I can spot the patterns more quickly and I can have better comprehension if I try to go through a page more quickly, but it's not. It's still not as good as if I, you know, take my time with it and audiate everything but still yeah yeah i mean actually possible though (laughs) in english i can't do it i'm also like so my um um, like my computer my phone like everything is in chinese Mm -hmm. right so so i i um another thing that might be helpful for your listeners that certainly was helpful for me is just like increase your the frequency of your contact with the language yeah you know so just have you know chinese like come up around you you'll see it yeah it's Um, all about your environment it's your environment Yeah. Yeah. yeah um there was this you know this this Chinese guy with this website uh, called like all all Japanese all the time or something like that. Yeah, his yeah. name Katsumoto. Katsumoto. Yeah. yeah, and so he, he's, he's an American guy. Was he American guy? Yeah, yeah. He was born in Kenya, but he was uh, he you know born and raised in America. Well, li- raised in America. I read some of his articles, and I, I, f- I found it interesting. I like the idea of just like increasing your frequency of the contact with mm-hmm. the language, having your environment like support what it is that you're trying to do. Yeah, and um, I found that to, you know. I don't live all manner and all the time. Like I, I'm, I'm, I, I have um, things that I that I want to do and, and need to do in English, um, but I but I do like care about this thing too. So I, I encounter Chinese like as much as possible, sure, um, um, as much as feasible. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, leave books lying around so you're more likely to pick one up. You know, if you can have a speaker on in your house that's playing some like a Chinese podcast or something like that, just turn the volume down if it's bothering you or whatever. It's like there's lots of things you can do to increase the likelihood that you're going to come across Chinese naturally oh, yeah, without well, having to put effort into it, you know. What I was going to say about my cell phone and like my, you know, Gmail and stuff being in Chinese. Yeah. Um, so when I read those things, you know, or if I'm reading something like, you know, that I don't really care about, you know, I'll just read it quickly because I'm trying to I'm, – I'm, I'm reading that in some like instrumental way, mm-hmm. you know. But literature is like not like that. I mean, yeah. I, mean you, I guess you can read novels quickly. There are people who do, but you know, especially if it's like a good novel, I kind of want to like take time with it. It's like a friend. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, totally. I love to read right before bed uh, too. You know, like and I always read in Chinese. But I'm reading before bed, which I don't know if there's evidence to to prove that it's like somehow more of it goes into your memory, but it sure feels like it does. It's, I feel like if I'm reading the night before, the next morning, it's like really easy for me to just get right back into the Mandarin frame of mind. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's actually true, but it would be interesting to, it just sure does feel like it. Interesting. Well, I yeah. mean, you know, doing certain things at certain times of the day. I mean, we, we are, um, you know, like diurnal creatures, mm-hmm. you know, so um, that, that's probably something to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell me a bit more about how, you know, when you started to uh, teach in Chinese, you know, how did that, how, how was that experience? Or, you know, because obviously you said you you felt that your Chinese wasn't at a good enough level, but then you 
when you went to the conservatory the first time, but then you had to teach in Chinese. So mm -hmm. what was that like in terms of sort of, I guess it's kind of a sink or swim situation where you got to communicate. So what was that experience like? Do you think it helped you or do you think in some ways, I mean, I could see how maybe it's like, oh, I don't know this stuff, so I'm going to end up making stuff up and maybe building bad habits. But what, what did you find? Yeah, they were they were pretty good to me. I mean, they wanted, I have, I you know, have some knowledge and skills in music and, and they brought me in specifically for that reason and not mm -hmm. for my Chinese language level. I think they could also see that I, um, you know, cared about and they were probably encouraged by the fact that my Chinese improved a lot mm -hmm. in the four years that I was, that I was teaching there. Um, yeah, it's really, I mean, it's humbling. It's, it's really frustrating when you, you know, have something that you want to say and you can't say it. And that was a regular occurrence, um, not just at the conservatory, but like living in China generally. Yeah, sure. Um, the thing that bothers me now is like, I, I can express myself way better in English than Chinese. And so I'd like, I, I want, uh, maybe like a future goal, like a, you know, a 10 year goal or something is to just get better in ways that make it easier for me to communicate the things that I actually care about and th are thinking and thinking, um, I want, you know, to increase like my range of, you know, what's, what's possible for me to express, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, I care a lot about that. Um, cause, um, you know, I like to have, you know, conversations with interesting people and I'm limited. Uh, there's, you know, I'm limited, um, in Mandarin with the things that I can say, you know, there's some things that I can say, but only simply, you know, Mm -hmm. um, um, where I could express myself like far freer in English. And so that's limiting. Yeah. Um, when I was teaching at the conservatory, yeah, I mean, I mean, my Chinese was like pretty bad when I started. So, you know, I was, um, There's yeah. almost the like thing, the thing is, um, when I first started, I was actually, so I was teaching saxophone mm -hmm. and there was some like ensemble kind of stuff. Um, but on the saxophone, you know, you know I could just show them, mm -hmm. you know, so I could be like, Hey, you know, um, like, I could take out my horn and demonstrate, mm -hmm. you know, and I could like, if there was some fingering issue or a posture issue or something like that, I could like, you know, like put my hand on the small of the back, you know, I, I couldn't say like, you know, you know, or anything like that. You know, I could mm -hmm. just like, you know, get hands on the student, but okay, you got to stand up straight. You know, you got to be looking forward, bring the saxophone to you. Mm -hmm. and I could just demonstrate that, you know, physically. Mm -hmm. um, um, later on, like in my last two years, I was teaching actually, um, was part of a um, like a curriculum reform initiative at the okay. school. So when I was when I first started teaching there, um, most of the like taku as opposed to like or xiaoke, so most of the classroom classes at um, at the Xindu Popular Music Campus, they were all like classical music because they just didn't have teachers with backgrounds in jazz and popular music. Mm -hmm. You know, all of the teachers teaching these classes, you know, they just went to conservatories. Um, they, and they, many of them were not themselves performers. So I started, I wrote and started a, uh, like, uh, improvisation course. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then I, uh, another one, like, was like a, like popular music styles and analysis. And just preparing for, particularly for that latter class was like tremendously helpful. Mm. When I first started teaching it, I mean, I was struggling. There was, there's a lot of stuff that I couldn't really say. I had a teaching assistant who was helpful. He helped me a lot. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I, did you find that, you know, because one of the things I find when I'm in that situation, you know, I taught a drum course to some high school kids for a while mm. and I had to figure out how to say things. And so, you know, one of the one of the um, I guess you could say there's the biggest gap in your Chinese study is always going to be somewhere at conversational fluency or proficiency, you could say, yeah. to native fluency or like a 
you know, as close to native fluency as you can get as a second language learner. Yeah. And that's a huge gap, obviously. Like, I feel like you could probably spend, you know, 20 years and not reach that point. But um, I don't think it's a reachable point, actually. And maybe it's yeah, maybe it's a completely unreachable point. But um, the the what I found is that I had to what I had to do was go, OK, I know how to explain this. I have the vocabulary to explain the concept, but I don't know the word yet. Uh-huh. You know, so I'm going to have to work my way around yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. then when I get there, they're going to go, oh, it's this. And like, I found that that was so helpful towards vocabulary acquisition because it's like your brain is already completely focused. Like if I imagine I could take a, if you could take like a CAT scan of your brain in that moment, the concept is there and you just need to attach it to the the Chinese word in that moment. And you're using the vocabulary you have to explain what the situation is. Like, it's like, oh, it's the, you know, when a note lasts a full measure yeah. and like, you know, yeah, you're yeah, trying yeah. to explain it to them and just, you just want to get whole note out of them and, you know, whatever. That's right. And so did you find that that was, it helped with your vocabulary a lot to kind of have to oh, it's good. communicate? Yeah, actually. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's an interesting point. I, I, I think you're right. Because if you're not sink or swim, then you don't have to do it. You know, what's the incentive? So, like, part of getting better at a language, right, um, is is like concision, like the ability to say something clearly without wasting words. Sure. Um, So you could describe a whole note as, like, you know, a note that lasts a whole measure if you're in 4-4 time. And Mm -hmm. if you didn't know, like, whole note, you may have to. Use that word. Although if you don't know the word Chenyin, you probably don't know those other words either. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, sure. But I mean, yeah, of course, I've had the, that experience. I still have that experience, you know, where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm having to explain things in a roundabout way because I can't just, I don't know, I can't say it like clearly and concisely. Um, yeah. And I think it's a very important distinction between concision and uh, fluency. So I've always defined fluency as the ability to communicate with somebody without having to stop because you completely don't know how to say it like so it's like if you it's so the, it's sort of if you know how to say oh it's the uh cold box in the kitchen that keeps food cold yeah right you've succeeded in not had to stop in communicating the idea and then they're like oh yeah that's a bing xiang and then you're like okay cool i got it now and then now you'll be more concise in the future yeah but i still consider it fluency in the sense that you don't have to stop or or be um you know I don't even know how to describe that. I don't have the vocabulary to even describe what this is. So Chinese, I don't know. Chinese <laughs> is an interesting language. Sometimes you can like, if you don't know the word, you can just like say, you can like describe what it is. And then it turns out that that's the actual word. Mm-hmm. That's happened mm-hmm. to me a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that. That totally is the case. That's why Chinese so much of the time, you know, when I did my little um, TED talk, I talked about this with Chinese. I said, it's like they're giving you advertisements for conceptual frameworks in the word. Yeah. So, so many words are just like, you know, oh, um, mei xue. You look at that and you go, okay, well, it must be the study of beauty. Whereas you look at English aesthetics, you're like, well, unless, unless you have some etymological linguistic knowledge, you can't just look at the word and know what it means, so, you know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to parse this out, but I'm interested in the differences between language. I, I, I think in, I like English too. I care mm-hmm. about English a lot. I like reading and thinking about English and expressing things mm-hmm. in English. And I love the, like, there's just so many possibilities. There's so many words, which um, again is, um, you know, for um, the amount of like grammatical exceptions and, and, and oh, yeah. idioms and words it, um, is a huge stumbling block for Chinese people that speak English already at a high level. Right. So my wife, her English is better than my Chinese. Um, and yet, you know, she struggles with certain things in certain ways. 
Like she she um, she uses English like fine, easily, and, and and impressively, you know. But there's there's just there's just so many words, you know. Yeah, and um, so many source languages, so the words don't sometimes don't have any relation to each other. And I think that's one yeah. of the most interesting and like beautiful things about the English yeah. language. It, I, I like that there's there's so many options, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, Might be the best language for comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. I think I think you're right. Um, and but you know my my impression of Chinese. I'm not obviously a native speaker, but that it's there. Um, while there, you know, are a lot of words, and I need I'm going to need to learn them if I want to, you know, achieve my long term goal of concision and you know being able to express a greater amount of things. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my feeling my feeling is that the language is just not like built that way. It's not used in that particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I. I've I've had the experience of like having written like lectures. So I'm um I also do like I'm a music educator. So I, I've I've been at like different conservatories in China, um, mm-hmm. lecturing on music related topics. Um, just the last couple of days, I was at the Sichuan Conservatory, my my former place of work. They had like some jazz week, and so I was lecturing on mm. um, like the recent development and you know near future of jazz music education in China. And so I wrote my lecture um, in English. And, you know, was very careful. I, I wanted to say things in a certain way. So, you know, um, I wrote it a certain way. And I translated it into Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had some help. And, um, and then when I was looking at it, like, the sentences were, like, grammatically correct, you yeah. know. Um, and it was translated correctly, you know. But reading them, because of my experience in Chinese, I knew that it was like, like ah, a Chinese person probably wouldn't say express this thought in this yeah. way. Translation is one of the most, I, I, you know, it's so interesting how difficult translation is. Because when you're, when you're doing it, you're like, well, but this is not really how we would say it in English or Chinese. Like if you're tra- uh, translating from Chinese to English, it's like so many times I'm like, I don't, I, I know exactly what this means, but it's like taking the raw thought and putting that into English, sometimes it's like, I, it definitely doesn't directly translate. If you directly translated it, it's, it's completely different. And so you have to go, okay, well, what does this really mean? And then think of it. It's, it's quite tough. Like I notice, especially with like, like, like for instance, like a, an expression, like logical expressions. Like if you had like, if you're describing, you, you wanted to put an emphasis in a certain place, you're saying like the object, which da, 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 or, or, you know, there, there are different ways of have, putting a sentence in English or Chinese or probably any language where you can, you can put focus on certain words depending on, you know, word order, but also, you know, there's other words that can, that mm-hmm. can, add extra emphasis in certain places mm-hmm. you know even like um and this is something i think about you know you know even like you know the one's use of punctuation the length of sentences how you cut them up i mean these things all actually matter if, if you're getting like deep into you know like if you're trying to express yourself um certain meanings in a very precise way or in, a, in an artistic way or you know <laughs> these yeah. things actually matter and my sense of things is that in Chinese, the way that that works in practice, you know, is not the same as is oh, yeah. in English, you know. Um, and I've had, yeah, the experience many times. Of, like when I read something, um, uh, like like an update about like new terms of service for like Facebook or some stupid thing, right? I can actually, I can, when I'm reading the Chinese, you know, mm-hmm. I can actually see that it was translated from English. I can tell by the way that it's written mm-hmm. you know, that this is, a, this is a document, you know, that was in English and has been translated Chinese rather than something that was like written in Chinese. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's definitely. By the that. way, it's pretty cool that I have like that ability, right? So, I, yeah. you know, just saying that, it's like, oh, wow, that's cool that I can, you know, I, I have the feeling for that, um, you know, which is, 
you know, it's encouraging. It's good well, that's to kind of one of those. Bra- it's like a breakthrough. You know, it's like, well, sort of. It's it, you know, because so much of language acquisition is unconscious. You know what I mean? So the it's very when these moments when you go, oh, I did something that I couldn't do before, and I've consciously taken note of it. You know, it's it's kind of like important to recognize those moments. You know. Yeah, yeah. One thing you know, um, um, for I, I would say for your for listeners or for um, you know people that are getting started, I, I've already said you know it's worth. Um, you know, considering why you're learning Chinese. For me, like, um, maybe I didn't have this idea at first. I just kind of thought it was cool, mm-hmm. you know, and I, it was hard. So I was like, oh, this is challenging. Like, let's yeah, do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, my, my wife was then my girlfriend. So that was the immediate impetus for me starting to learn sure. Chinese. We started dating, and I was like, ah, why not? I'll, I'll learn to say a few things. And then I just was, from that point until today, like, I was just always studying mm-hmm. a bit every day. Um, um, and so that, in, um, I think I just lost my train of thought. But, but you were saying you, you were saying like you brought up originally that the uh, what's your motivation for learning Chinese? Oh, Be yeah. clear about that, and then you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and if you're learning Chinese for, um, again, I mean, there's just there's a lot of you know. Oh, if you want to do like you, you want to like you know, China's super important. So. You know, learn Chinese, you know, and then, you know, it's going to help your business or something. First of all, I don't actually know that that's true. I've heard from some people mm-hmm. that, you know, because as I've said, that, um, um, you know, you know, people that are operating at a high level, you know, have translators and people work. Go ahead. Uh, people that are um, uh, uh, people that are like working in business at a high level, like have people specifically around them who are like handling all of the linguistic difficulties. Oh yeah. And yeah. I've, I've actually heard, and I think this is probably true, that like people who get like really deep into Chinese, um, um, because of the empathy thing, like you, you actually start to empathize with the other side. It actually might be like a downside in negotiations. Uh, yeah, well, it depends on the negotiation, I suppose. But I, I can see that that point. Although, you know, ultimately though, the reason why I think it helps, uh, it's ultimately I think it would be a good thing for your business is that, there are so many things that just come down to um, a con- like sort of a conceptual miscommunication, not necessarily a language miscommunication. And so if you can clarify in the language, you know, because I clarify all the time when I'm dealing, doing business with Chinese people, I'm yeah. like constantly because I'm just like, well, I'm probably misinterpreting this. Like it seems obvious, but if there's any doubt in my mind, I clarify, clarify. And being able to do it in their language I find that Chinese people are very receptive. I mean, this is just my personal experience, but I find they're very receptive to clarifying questions when you're like, so you think this, right? Like I'm make, I'm saying what you think correctly, right? And then when they go, oh, yes, or oh, no, actually, I meant this, they like like that a lot. I mean, anybody does, really, like when you're correctly articulating their perspective. You know, it's an empathy thing, right? But um, that what I've found is that if I try to do that in English, you know, with their – if they have English as a second language, it doesn't work as well as if I try to, cla- I guess it's like a clarifying thing. You know, when you clarify in Chinese, they are very receptive to it. It's just my personal experience, but yeah. 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 Which uh, the original negotiation, uh, yeah, sure. Maybe it's good sometimes to be able to just go like, well, this is what I think and say it in English and then count the translator and then, you know, Well, no, I, was, I wasn't thinking about like people who, like I'm talking about like, 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 um, like high power, like people oh, yeah, with yeah. like incredible amounts of money where yeah. it's like, um, 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 yeah, I don't mean like, like if I were to start like some small business in China, like that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I mean, like if I was like, if I was like a head of some like multinational and my experience in Chinese would make me empathize with the other side and be thinking that way to such an extent that I wasn't, you know, 
I'm willing to, you know, kind of push or power through or be like a tough negotiator to, to defend my side. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and I think there have been, there have been, um, I think one, um, you know, foreigners have a, a tendency to like overestimate um, their Chinese level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good, to, it's good actually to be humble, you know. Yeah. Um, hence, uh, hence why I always clarify because I'm like, you maybe I'm getting it wrong. So yeah, yeah. clarifying is huge. Yeah. yeah um, and I would recommend that to anybody in any situation, really. Anytime you're not sure, just just go. You mean this, right? You know, and then just laugh oh, at yeah. yourself oh, too. Like you're just like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm, you know, what do you mean? You mean this, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, I mentioned um, that I had friends around, so I was when I was learning Chinese, I was like constantly asking them, like, hey, mm-hmm. wh- how do you how do you write this? What's the right way to say this? And yeah, I would agree. Like, I, I found that um, people have been just incredibly receptive you know there's you know there's no one that's saying uh, when i'm asking questions like don't ask me that question i don't have time for you like you know strangers on the street actually they've been they've been um, yeah you know i notice a lot when um you know when i first started um like every time every bus stop you know the name of every bus stop or any street or any um you know subway stop like these are all potential language learning opportunities and Mm -hmm. often they have characters that you're not going to see elsewhere yep and uh, so you do um, ask people, hey, well, you know, what is this? You know, in a restaurant, ask like the person sitting next to me. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, don't be obnoxious about it. I, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, but I, you know, I was curious. And but you and, have to not take yourself too seriously because if you think like I'm good at Chinese, I don't need like you can. I, and I say that as having felt it before at certain times. Like oh, I'm good at Chinese, so I don't need to. It's like you always have to. Like I play a mental game with myself where I just go like, just. Just act like you don't know anything again, like beginner's mind, right? Like always just go, yeah, okay, now you don't know what this thing is precisely. Just ask about it and, and then kind of go like, oh, I'm the, I'm the foreigner. I don't really know Chinese very well. So uh, what's this about? And, you know, like just kind of laugh at yourself. That, that's the right mentality for A, staying relaxed and B, like, you know, not putting – because you, you don't put pressure on yourself that way. Yeah, I, I don't want to say any um, like anything like essentialist. And so obviously this won't be true about anybody. But I, again, I have the sense that at least based on my – experiences. Hopefully I've qualified this enough. But, you know, mm-hmm. Chinese people take pride in, in their language. They also take a certain kind of pride in, like, the difficulty of their language and the difficulty for, like, other people from other backgrounds to learn <laughs> it. Again, yeah. you know, that's it's um, a generalization. But that is, it's been my impression. Um, at the same time, you know, the, 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 the other side of that is that if you, you know, are making, like, an effort to learn the language and you, you actually care, you know, and you're I'm curious by disposition, you know, but if you if you have that kind of like curiosity and you ask questions, um, um, Chinese people tend to like that. They're not yeah. going to turn you away. They're like, oh, cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, well, yeah, that's the, and, that's the flip side of that. And coin. there's also a lot of foreigners like living in China who don't care and obviously don't care. You mm-hmm. know? And, and um, I think the arrogance there sometimes that comes out, I've seen it before. Again, I'm not generalizing about all foreigners. Actually, most foreigners don't do this. But, you know, you've seen it before where – Somebody thinks it's like they think that Chinese people don't have an opinion about them not, you know, putting in any effort or like, you know, it's a it's it's just sort of like I maybe it's not a fully articulated thought, but for me, it's almost like 
it's like they they just live here and they don't try to learn the language and they just kind of it seems disrespectful to me in some way you know and so i think they assume that chinese people just don't have any thoughts about it or whatever they're just like whatever because chinese people are not very expressive usually it's kind of like as a as a generalization but i don't uh, i don't i don't know i don't think i agree with that it, it just facially i don't mean like expressive in terms of you get into a conversation but like um there's some sort of like Confucian elements there, but you know, nonetheless, though, uh, regardless of that particular point, I have noticed that there's like a, it's almost like a sense like there's nobody is going to judge me, and it's like, well, they might be. You know, just you haven't looked into it, you haven't, uh, you know, asked yeah. them or gotten into the conversation with them. You know. Yeah, I mean, there is a certain. I, I use the word curious. I, I've noticed like mm -hmm. like a lot of like incurious foreigners. You yeah. Know? Like expats, they're just doing their thing. I mean, I don't want to be too rough on foreigners in China. You know, and and. I could see someone arguing, you know, there are um, um, Chinese immigrants in um, the West who mm -hmm. are, you know, aren't particularly interested in like learning English and yeah, getting kind involved of going in going to their enclave. And, yeah, yeah. So I mean, people like to like live in worlds that make sense to them. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, I mean, life is short, and um, 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 it's I just I just find um, um, a driving force for me to learn Chinese, and one of the things that I find so satisfying is. Yeah, just like having like a new world like opening up to me. It's so cool, and and that's ultimately like that's that's actually what like led me back here. Mm -hmm. um, after because you're now going to be teaching at uh, NYU Shanghai, right? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's congr congratulations. Thank on you. That. That's a new uh, position you just got. Yeah. I yeah, so I, I graduated. Um, I finished my PhD last year, and in the fall, I will be the first ever full time um, like jazz and popular music professor at. And NYU Shanghai. So I'm the yes. first guy that they brought in to do that. Um, I'm really excited. Um, I'll be teaching in English. Um, NYU, all the all the instruction there uh, is in English. Um, um, but uh, I think my experience in music education in China and my understanding of Chinese, I think It'll it's totally like help. half yeah. of the students there are, are Chinese and um, the other half are like, are Chinese nationals. And then the other half are um, from all other countries. Um, but there's also like, so there are some like Chinese American Mm -hmm. um, so there are like like people of non-Chinese nationalities with, with with Chinese backgrounds that are also students there. And I think my experience with the language and, and with music education in China will be um, a, a big asset. I'm yeah. really looking forward to starting there. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to make a comment on something you said just before that about like sort of the, the things that you've learned through learning the language and, of course, spending time in this other culture. I know for me it's almost like it feels so vast and almost like it could not possibly be articulated, um, all the – changes in the way I think, the changes in perspectives I've had about the world. Like, you know, I certainly like th this is not a topic that is too big of a topic to go into today. But like I j just a simple one. What is government has changed for me a lot just since living here. You know, that's like one that you just you just can't help it. You're, you're here and you're seeing how things run. You go, oh, OK, so I have some conceptions about things that are different, you know, and uh, things like um, how does how should a family operate and how should uh how should you treat a stranger that you meet like you know it's and i'm not saying there are any answers solid answers that are in china but there are at least frameworks that are built on this language that starts from not even Roman alphabet, right? It yeah. starts from like this bucket of meanings called characters and they kind of go what's this new thing? Okay, well Here's a new invented word, a, a drone, for example. Okay, well, it's definitely a machine. It's kind of like a feizi, so we'll have zi in there, and there's there's no people, so I guess we'll say wu ren zi, mm -hmm. right? And so they have to think about what it is and, you know, pick from their 
bucket of various meanings that have developed over, evolved over, you know, thousands of years. And that sort of way of thinking, it's like, I, again, I can't describe how many times that's sort of given me pause when I come want to come to a conclusion about something. It's so interesting that, uh, um, again, you know, we we're talking about the differences between language, that a drone is a drone, yeah. And a drone in Chinese is like a no-man machine. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's an example that, you know, I think it exemplifies well the differences between the two languages. And, and ex an experience of, like, learning new Chinese words is, like, kind of like that. Yeah. For, for many words. Yeah. Know? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, that's uh, – it's really cool listening to what you have to say about your Chinese journey, especially because, you know, you've been doing it for a lot longer than I have. I started learning in, in earnest and probably about – 2013. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess... Probably around the time we met. Or no, yeah. no, a little after, right? Yeah, a little after, yeah. actually. Yeah, I didn't really... I mean, I think that one of the things that I did, and I'm curious to hear your opinion about this, was I took each individual character very seriously. Like, I kind of learned character by character more so than word by word, uh, which I have found to be quite... Well, so far, I found it to be very, very useful to have taken that approach because, like, the fractal connections to one character are I think greater I than the words. But I, yeah, I, yeah, you can you can tell me a bit more about your method. I'll just say I did. I was looking at a character character level, at least, especially at first. Mm. I think you kind of have to because, at least, when you're first starting out, um, because like, what is a character? Like, it's just this weird. Right. collection of like lines and curves and it's like well, how to make sense of this thing and yeah. and they're different from each other you know yeah. two characters are not written the same they're written differently and so it's worth kind of sussing out like how they're different and why they're different mm -hmm. and I did that when I when I when I was when I was starting um I think the um um like like learning character components, I did that and was paying attention. And of course, you notice the patterns where it's like, okay, this pattern. And, you know, this is a semantic component. So if you see this character, it's like, okay, this is probably an insect of some kind. Mm -hmm. Or it's like this has something to do with speech, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, that was like really helpful. And, and even now, you know, like when I'm reading, you know, when I'm reading novels, I, I'm constantly seeing new words, like, kind of like all the time. You know? Yeah, sure. Um, but, you can actually, you know, you can kind of like, if you have a knowledge of characters and how characters are put together, you have some idea of like how it would be pronounced. Mm -hmm. You can usually guess, yeah. you know, or um, what it means, even if you don't know the exact thing. So uh, the, the experience of like a, a beginner ch Chinese learner um, is not like that, right? So the whole system is just opaque and right. there's just a, there's just like a, this grind. Um, and I just want to encourage like, um, maybe I'll say something for like like Chinese learners. Um, um, I don't think the difficulty curve of Mandarin is like that of other languages. Mm -hmm. um, I think that all of the hard work is like at the beginning. Yep. It's worth putting that time in. It's worth like learning to read, pay, paying like close attention to the sounds. My experience now for me um, is like, like I just tend not to like, if at some point in the future, if I get into like Winya or something, then there's there's going to be I think some more work in this way. But my experience now, like reading books, is like I'm not really encountering like new grammatical patterns. It's just like vocabulary acquisition. Right. It's like learning more words, um, um, and that's kind of all it is. And when I learn more words, yeah. then I can understand more things. I can hear more things. You know, I can say more things. Um, but when I was starting out, that wasn't my experience at all. Like I just didn't understand 
the language itself. Like I didn't know what Chinese was doing. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I was, and I had a tiny vocabulary, right? So because of that, I was just constantly, you know, misunderstanding and being misunderstood. Um, but it actually gets like way better. So if you can get over that, you, you reference the, what is it? The intermediate plateau. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you can kind of, um, um, get past that. And by the way, I don't, I, I see people like freaking out about that all the time. I never really freaked, freaked out about it. I just did the thing that I, um, always do, which is like, you know, take the language learning seriously. You know, if I couldn't do something that I would like work on that thing and mm -hmm. I, I trust that it would get better and it, it did slowly get better. So, but for people who are like struggling with that or struggling even to get to that intermediate plateau, I would encourage them to, um, like, to, to be encouraged, don't be discouraged and recognize that if you can actually get through this, like, you know, ugly duckling, ugly, like if you get through this, like awkward phase, mm -hmm. it gets way easier. Oh yeah. It gets yeah. way easier. So I'm like not stressed out. You know, my, my Chinese is limited in all sorts of ways. There's all sorts of stuff that I can't read. Like I, I, what I want to do is spend the next few years just reading like 20th century Chinese literature. I want to read, you know, like a book a month or something mm -hmm. um, and do that for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, there's all sorts of novels that I just can't, they're impenetrable. You know, my, my language abilities did not there. Mm -hmm. Um, but I kind of know that it's going to be okay. Like I'll just yeah. keep working at it and then I'll, I'll be there's able to. There's no other way to get there. Other than yeah, just incremental is. improvement every day. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to happen at once. And, and that's great advice. I mean, the, it, one of the reasons I want people to feel encouraged is that it's kind of like an hourglass, right? It takes a long time to build up the bottom of the hourglass. But then once you get above the point where it starts to turn in, then the sand that you're adding has more of an effect. You have to build that foundation first. And one of the things that's encouraging about Chinese is that because there are no word form changes like go, gone, uh, better, best, you know, good, better, best, all that stuff. Uh, the grammar is essentially just a, a game of moving the characters around or adding characters. And so the grammar, like you said, it's like you don't run in – eventually you reach a point where you don't run into many new grammatical patterns. You're just sort of adding to your vocabulary. And if you have a strong foundation in characters, like you said, the vocabulary is usually can at least get an idea when you start off. And you have all the context of all the other things that you're reading. So when you reach the point where – the language itself can start teaching you. So at the beginning, you oh, have yeah. to put a lot of extra effort into, you know, okay, we teach a whole mnemonic system for remembering characters quickly, and you got, you know, you spend time on that. You spend time on uh, understanding how a word works, understanding basic sentences and stuff like that. You got, you just got to put in that time at the beginning. But once you get past the point where you can start reading full texts and you get the context that is deeper than just like a single sentence, or you get, you know, a com you can read a conversation or you can watch a conversation between people then, you know, it's really at least what you do each day becomes a lot more straightforward. It's just like continue to read, continue to listen and continue to input things you can understand. And then, you know, it's not as much like all that sort of conscious effort at the level of the character alone or trying to understand yeah. what a radical is or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing on the. Yeah, that's good. Um, another thing on the motivation point. Um, so. Um, I mentioned that you know from that basically the time I was in China I was I was using you know Chinese like in music, right? Mm. So you know, um, it's a good idea to take things that you care about and like incorporate like make sure that your Chinese language learning has something to do with that. Absolutely. Um, as soon as you can individuate, do it. Yeah, I agree. What is it? I don't even know. What is it? What I mean, mean, like, is like so at the beginning, there's basic stuff that everybody has to learn, regardless of whether or not 
like whatever you want to do with Chinese, but like say I like philosophy, big yeah. fan of philosophy. Yeah. Well, I don't expect, you know, Luke is not particularly a fan of philosophy, so I don't expect him to go read philosophy books or learn philosophical vocabulary in Chinese because mm -hmm. it's just not, but we all need to have a certain base foundation. You know, you got to know like the most common characters and all that stuff. But then eventually you reach a point where it's like, okay, I'm a saxophonist, so I'm going to learn how to, you know, communicate about the saxophone and communicate about music. And, you know, that's as soon as you can feel like that you're ready for that, you know, try some stuff out, buy a book that's about, like you said, the music theory book that you read. I was like, I heard that. I was like, perfect. That's the exact thing you want to do yeah. when you're ready for it. So, yeah, yeah. totally. Awesome. Yeah. Well, anything else that you wanted to uh, discuss today, uh, Murray, or give any advice to our uh, listeners? Um, I don't know. Um, tell, why don't you tell – I'm not super familiar with what you're – tell me a bit about your company. Oh, well, I mean, basically we've just built uh, a, a course that's supposed to be um, – I guess you could say it's an integrated course. It's an integrated course that tries to cover as many bases as possible – especially in the foundational stage. So the fir very first thing that people do is a pronunciation course that's all about mastering uh, all of those phonemes, as you mentioned before. And yeah. uh, Luke's pronunciation is fantastic. I saw, so. I saw a video of him online. It looks great. He sounds yeah. great. Yeah, he's a great person to teach it. And so we, we focus on that because it's like, hey, get your pronunciation. Don't build up the bad pronunciation yeah. habits if you can. Yeah. So start off with that, and then we go right into characters from there. And uh, we basically just we build them logically in the sort of learning te learning theory of you want to make sure everything that you're teaching is like just a little bit of out outside of what you already know. So like your competence level is like you know nothing at the beginning. You learn a few things and then you know you have a few facts. You make sure that whatever facts you're going to learn after that about the language are related to that in some way. So we try to keep everything uh, related. So it's a linear course, it's a sequence, right? So start off with characters, phase one, learn individual characters and learn the mnemonic technique, which doesn't take that long to learn, but it's, you know, still systemized. Move into learning some vocabulary with the characters you've already learned. Yeah. High frequency only, you know, so there's some words you could make with the characters you learn, but they're not going to be super common or like they're the name of a place or something, right? Mm -hmm. And so don't waste your time with that. Then you get into simple sentences with the words that you've learned. Yeah. And so they're comprehensible and you can read them without pinion. Uh, and then from sentences into short paragraphs and dialogues into, and then into um, longer stories, sort of classic stories, Three Little Pigs, um, some classic Chinese stories. And all, it's always based on being at least like 90 to 98% what you've already covered. And then we'll, if there's anything um, beyond that, we just give the definition and opinion we call those a top-down word so it's kind of like top-down learning like you know you can you can learn jago nego without necessarily needing to learn the characters or learn them bottom up because they're so frequent that you can just kind of pick them up mm -hmm. naturally that type mm -hmm. of thing uh so it's sort of a systemized uh, and the first 105 characters so we kind of think of it as being character centric so if like oh you're at character 222 that doesn't mean that all you've done is learn 222 characters but it's just sort of the compass we use to mark somebody's progress um the first 105 characters are come with about 300 or so videos where we're explaining everything and how it works and then after that we go okay now you know the system you know the, what's coming ahead and we give the occasional like check-in but it's basically an online video course that you know goes from that point on and at that point there's not as many videos it's just the material so you can follow it you know kind of heisig style but i would say it's more articulated than heisig's book was and um yeah, so it's going really well so far. People seem to really like it. Great, man. Well, 
um, congratulations. I wish you much success. Thank you very much. Um, with, uh, with the business. And, and I think learning Chinese is cool. So uh, I encourage other people to do it too. And, and there's, um, you know, there's, there's more room for, for foreigners who want to, you know, take their Chinese to a high level. You're, oh, yeah. You're more than welcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Murray. Well, oh, hey, Murray let me James plug. Everyone. Let me plug something. Yeah, plug, plug away. Um, it's uh, it's not a super cool plug. It's my website, um, uh, MurrayJames.net. MurrayJames.net. Um, and if you're interested in hearing some of my music and uh, um, some of the my bad writing and um, <laughs> um, my daughter, my four year old daughter's five year old daughter's artwork, um, then you can find that there. I will absolutely check it. I mean, I can't speak to your writing or how cute your daughter's art is, but certainly go to check out the music. She's actually, else. she's, she's great. Yeah. She's great. I said four cause she, yeah, she, uh, she started drawing, you know, kind of seriously at like four. She's very creative. She's mm -hmm. her technique is okay, but she, she's like very creative. And That's cool. She's going to be really good. And of course, cause I have an arts background, so I'm doing everything that I can to encourage her in that. And excellent. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, Murray James, everyone. And uh, if you'd like to um, share this podcast, you can always do that. And of course, mandarinblueprint.com. If you'd like to sign up for the course, if you're not already there, what are you doing? Get signed, go sign up. Free trial. No problem. So anyway, uh, we'll uh, see you very soon. And thanks for listening. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm.